crossover revisited for today's edition of Locked On, well, Jazz, because I'm David Locke, and... I'm Adam Mata's Locked On Nuggets crossover edition. Let's let's do this. Let's get into it. I don't think either of us expected that it would be 3-1 at this point. I don't think either of us expected to be 3-1 with the amount of incredible scoring outbursts. I don't think either of us expected that there have been two blowouts. I don't think either of us would have expected either team to shoot the way they've shot. So this has been a lot of, at least in my opinion, kind of surprises. What, Adam, do you think from your end, at least I'll, I'll put it on you first, and, and I'm more than willing to take the, the, the answer to the question as well. What do you think was uh, we underestimated? We did a crossover a week ago or whatever it was, a little less. Yeah. What do you think we underestimated about this series, about some of the matchups, about the players? On my end, I think there's a lot. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff that this series has obviously unfolded a lot different from what we, what I talked about a, a week ago. But I think the number one thing is, and, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong on this, but Utah's ability to sort of remake themselves around Donovan Mitchell as the pick-and-roll attacker, I know they had that in them. Um, but especially those first two games, just the way they were able to play through him in that spread pick and roll really looks just so different from what I saw from them in the regular season, certainly pre-bubble, um, and just their ability to kind of go to that one note and just keep playing that one note over and over again to obviously great results for Utah. That's interesting. I, I think that specifically that they, the Jazz – coaching staff I, I knew this going in um, and we saw it in the scrimmage game in the seeding games they really took the time off to re kind of build the team they didn't take the time off to try to you know recreate or fix what they had they, they went all right we have data points now we're gonna be a totally different team what can we be different and we don't have Boyan Bogdanovich so it doesn't do us any good to try to be the same team so they they did remake who they were uh, they became a little faster paced, a little bit more spread. They shot a lot more threes into the last game uh, and had they really they had the largest three point shooting increase of any of the eight teams in the bubble and took the second most amount of threes in the seeding game, which is different to who they were in the regular season. So in that sense, yes, I think you're right. They really did kind of change who they are as a basketball team without Bogdanovich. And with that three and a half months off, Quinn Snyder was like, who do we want to be? Not who are we? And I think if you look league-wide right now in this entire playoffs, outside of the Lakers who have ha who are having a lot of success, you know, with their just playing really, really big, you look at o Oklahoma City, they've evened that series, but not through Steven Adams. They've evened the series by going small. I mean, the Boston Celtics, Joel Embiid, you know, really being rendered sort of ineffective even defensively by playing small, playing this. So you see Utah and you see them sort of run to this and by the way, have three just great pick and roll players. Now that, that Conley's back, three just great pick and roll players and the willingness to take those off the dribble three-pointers, which I'm sure we're going to talk about because Utah has just really weaponized that against Denver's um, attempt at playing drop coverage. Just their, their ability to kind of play and move that direction has really rendered – Denver's whatever Denver had I mean they were bad defensively to begin with they were really bad inside the bubble where teams are just shooting lights out um, and they've just completely rendered them ineffective I mean when Utah doesn't score it, it's usually because they missed at best a semi-contested shot yeah I mean Utah's shooting game in game four is ridic was ridiculous I mean frankly Denver's shooting game in game one was ridiculous I think Denver's 20 of 33 above the break threes yeah Utah had their best single shooting game of the entire season and uh, in game number four. I mean, it's not 
Like, I, if you actually ask me, I think Denver should have won game four and Utah should have won game one. Now there's a butterfly effect, so who knows what it would have meant. Yeah, but, yeah. But I, so I, I, I agree. It's an interesting thing. Here, here's the one I underestimated. Actually, I had it in my notes, and I don't think I ever asked you about it because I thought it felt – I actually thought it felt tacky because I didn't think it had a lot of value, and that was that Denver was 22nd in the league defensively in the bubble. And I just thought yeah. to myself, there's so many bull bull minutes and there's so many weird minutes, and they started three bigs. And I just didn't take any credence into that the loss of Gary Harris and Will Barton really left Denver as defensively as vulnerable as they are. That was what I underestimated going into this series. Well, I think even if you were watching Denver, it was hard to analyze those eight seeding games. I mean, here, here's the thing about Denver that I – another thing that – there's a lot with Denver that I think I underestimated the impact it would have in a playoff series. One of them was – I don't know that – people realize this Denver had, I think nine players arrive late to the bubble, presumably for COVID related reasons, you know, never announced officially what it was, but they had nine players show up late, including never having a practice with everybody until after the last um, pre uh, uh, preseason game. Right. So you get right into the seating games with only, I think two days, there were two days or three days before the, between the last preseason game and then the first actual game. So Denver just, was throwing things together on the fly going into it. And you thought, okay, well, the eight games are basically preseason this or that. But then when Gary Harris went down, Barton went down, Denver completely remade their roster. And Michael Porter Jr. had such a great seeding round where he really shot the ball well. And you thought, oh, okay, this guy is going from a guy who showed promise in limited minutes to all of a sudden you're playing him 35 minutes and he looks like a starter. Well, I think maybe some of that excitement and hot shooting and this or that really undermine just how much a team can pick at a weakness in a roster, including something like that. And not just his defense, but you sent an interesting note after Denver beat Utah, I believe in overtime in the seeding round where you said Denver just has such clarity about who they are and, you know, top, you know, they know who the first guy is, the second guy. Well, weirdly enough, in game two, and especially in game three, I thought Denver looked like a team that had no idea who they were on the offensive end, who's supposed to be taking shots here or there, and where does Michael Porter fit into all of that? And I think it had a bit of a snowball effect. So for me, Denver just losing Gary and Will Barton and then trying to replace him with a guy that at his best is going to be a high-usage offensive player, it just really turned out to be way too much to do in short order. So I talked to an executive today, and they said – that they thought the untalked about storyline of the league right now in the Western Conference particularly was teams that came as one versus teams that straggled into the bubble. So they were talking about Denver and Houston straggled in and the Clippers straggled in, whereas Dallas, Utah, and Oklahoma City all came in collectively, all had their group together early. They weren't allowed to practice as a group, but they were kind of together as a group even yeah. before they got to the bubble. It's an interesting thing about the way this whole thing has impacted personalities, whether that happened before it, whether that tells us something about those teams. I don't know, but that is it's factual that Oklahoma City, Utah, Dallas were like together – before they came to the bubble and all entered as a group, whereas Denver, the Clippers, and Houston trickled in either due to COVID-related reasons or because guys just didn't really want to be there. Yeah, and I I think there's even, especially on Denver's part, a little bit of a maturity thing there. And I don't mean that in like a, a character thing. I just mean about like, 
you know, you're looking at Denver and one of their things, if you just look at them structurally is who's the team's leader, you know, how much do they have that toughness and backbone? And I think you're seeing a lot of that get exposed in the series. And some of that is, I just, I don't know if they had a guy that was calling everybody in the weeks leading up to, um, you know, arriving in Orlando and said, Hey, everybody, it's about time. Make sure you're doing the right things. Make sure you're staying away from people. Like we got to get there. It's going to be an advantage if we all get there healthy. I don't think Denver had that. In fact, I feel very confident saying they did not have that. And that was part of why they had guys end up not getting into the bubble two, three, even four weeks after, you know, Toronto arrived. That's really, it's an interesting, um, you know, I almost feel like the Jazz, who had the worst offseason ever, right? They had, they we shut down the league. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I say we because I was there. Um, right. You know, Rudy and Donovan had whatever they had. Like, you know, Zoom calls that supposedly Rudy didn't get on to. Donovan, Rudy not talking. Like, the, yeah. they might have act like, I actually think, and now this team, now you have Mike Conley finishing an interview saying, I've played with a lot of great groups and some groups that are kind of known to be some of the closest groups in the history of the league with that Gasol and Tony Allen and Zach and some of that. And he's saying, hey, this is one of the, this is the, this is the best, as good as any group I've ever played with. We're as close as any group I've ever played with. It's almost as though the Jazz were desperately in need of the bubble to get back together as a group and be forced to be like, all right, we're going to figure this out or we're going to have the most miserable two months of our lives. Denver's having the most miserable two months of their lives, I think, unfortunately. And, it, and it's not just that, but you arrive late to the bubble, so then you don't want to play certain guys' minutes because they haven't practiced yet. You work them in. Denver had the Utah game in the in the seeding round was, I think, the only game with all of their pieces there in which they actually tried. You know, they threw a game to the Lakers. They threw a game to the Clippers. They threw a game to the Blazers. So when you go through the whole seeding round and you really don't get a full 48 minutes of this is how we're going to do things, you only get one of those. It's a little bit unsurprising that games two and games three, they really hit what I consider to be an identity crisis. He's Adam Modest of Locked On Nuggets. I'm David Locke of Locked On Jazz. And we are bringing you a crossover. Di- di- cro- Let me try that again. A crossover <laughs> edition of Locked On Jazz and Locked On Nuggets. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete or a stay-at-home podcaster, or if your team's lost three of their last four, or if your team's won Mm. three of the last four. It doesn't matter. Everyone needs support to make it through the day. Luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, recharge when life gets chaotic, or when your favorite player has a game that makes you wonder if he quit. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was cheap, wasn't it? That was cheap. Oh, no. You did, though. You really seemed like you needed CBD Recover. Uh, I did. I don't know if there's enough CBD in the world for that recovery. (laughs) CBD Recover combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica, vitamin B6 to give you support you need when it matters. There's also CBD Freeze with menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints and convenient, easy-to-use roller and shareable squeeze tube. Go over to CBDMD.com. Use the promo code MBA for 25% off your purchase. Superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. They also have a whole line of topicals and everything else CBD has to offer. So check it out. They're offering, again, 25% off on your next order. Use the promo code NBA at checkout. I was asked on our postgame show, is Quinn Snyder out coaching Mike Malone? And I thought it was an interesting question because I think it's an easy answer. My, My answer was this. I think Quinn Snyder can be coaching a nearly perfect, fabulous series, exposing the weaknesses of Denver. But if those weaknesses are not able to be covered, it's not right. like Malone's fault. 
So yeah. I don't know that Quinn Snyder, just because he's coaching a great series, has to be out coaching Mike Malone. But I do think Quinn Snyder has done a pretty masterful job of knowing how to attack Denver. He clearly understands exactly where Denver's sort of pressure points are and has gotten the team to really buy into that. I mean, the thing I was so impressed with Utah throughout this whole series is how much their players understand the game plan and how much they just stick to it. I mean, there's really not a lot of deviating from what they're supposed to do. There's glaring weaknesses. They'll attack it. If they don't get it in the first 10 seconds, they'll reset and attack it again. And they just, everybody kind of seems to know if Denver plays this type of coverage in the pick and roll, we're going to do this thing. If they're going to do that coverage, we're going to do this thing. And um, it's, just, it's just such a masterful job. And I think Donovan Mitchell, part of his sort of, ascension during this series has been his ability to read not that Denver's throwing complicated things because like you said Denver doesn't have a lot of options to go to defensively but just the way he sort of reads exactly what Denver's trying to do and then takes advantage of whatever it is that they're giving so I think yes the thing with Michael with Michael Malone I think when you look back at this season Michael Porter was so clearly a talented player all the way back in October and he didn't play. And then November came and he didn't play. In December, January, he finally got his opportunity when some guys went down, got a little bit of an injury, and just never got back into the lineup. And I think he, Michael Malone had no idea there was going to be a pandemic. He had no idea Gary Harris and Will Barton were going to be unavailable after a four-month layoff. He had no idea of any of that stuff. But you get here now and you say, okay, they need Michael Porter to be ready for a playoffs. Well, he's got 500, 600 minutes under his belt. He doesn't know anything about NBA basketball. And now you're kind of relying on him and, and he just wasn't ready. So to me, I think when I look back at the season and how I'll define it, Michael Malone, I think, was a little too concerned in October, November, and December about getting some of these regular season wins when, in hindsight, if Denver was three or four wins worse but had him another 500 minutes of experience, I don't know that he would be as bad defensively as he has been in this series. It's interesting. The other one that the Harris and Barton injury left was Jeremy Grant having to guard the ball handler on the pick and roll. And actually the data on that is pretty revealing. Jeremy Grant's like of the 120 guys in the league that have guarded the most pick and roll. He's the 16th worst in the league at guarding the pick. Mm. and roll. It's not surprising. Really? He's six foot eight. He's a yeah. fabulous on ball defender. He's a great weak side defender. He's a super help defender, but on ball getting hit by the pick. Not a lot of six, eight, six, nine guys are very good at that. I mean, he's a, he's a little bit of a fish out of water trying this, you know. I mean, he's a power forward. I think he's a small forward in certain moments, but guarding Donovan Mitchell specifically, a guy that's not just a guard, but one of the quicker guards, fastest guards in all of the in NBA, is really tough. Um, I, I still, if you look at all of the options Denver has thrown out there, there aren't really any good ones. So I still think that going into game five, you're going to see a lot of him there and there's certain things Denver can kind of do and had a little bit of success with um, namely switching Jokic onto Donovan Mitchell and switching um, uh, Grant on to Rudy Rudy Gobert they've been doing that late in shot clocks if they if they get to you know Utah runs their first action they don't get anything out of it that second action Denver's been switching that and I think it actually makes sense in this one way Denver's given up one and a half points per possession right now when those guys are out there so if you could just take away a little bit of that, not to give them second chance points, that's probably the best of bad options. But yeah, I mean, Denver right now, they're, they're playing guys on Donovan Mitchell that have no experience in those positions. What is your overall feeling? Do you think the series is done? Do you think the Nuggets come out and fight in game five? Or do you think that the unique circumstance of the bubble, they're thinking about finally getting home and just winning three seems too daunting. 
I think Denver fights. I mean, this series has evolved in a funny way because I actually think as constructed, even without, you know, Bogdanovich, without Barton, without Gary Harris, I think these two teams are actually closer to what we saw in games one and four than what we saw in game two and three. I think Denver lost hold of the rope. I think there was not a lot of trust uh, in Michael Porter, and it affected, sadly, it affected, I think, Jokic in particular, but some of the other players as well in terms of just what level of effort they gave, uh, you know, in that third game especially. But I think the teams are much more like the game of one and game four. Can, does that mean Denver can beat them now three times in a row? No, we're talking about games that come down to the wire. I mean, how many times has Utah played this year where it's gone to overtime or come down to the last two minutes of the game? Almost all of them other than games two and three. So to ask, the, so to think that the ball's going to bounce in Denver's favor now three times in a row is tough. But I do think Denver's going to come out and give their best shot. I wish the adjustment Michael Malone made with the lineup and the rotation in games four was the the – was made in either game two or at the latest game three, because I do think if the series is two, one, I'm feeling a lot more confident at three, one, I think Denver's going to put up a fight. Maybe they win tomorrow, but every single game from here on out, I think will be a pretty, pretty tough battle. Those, the Morris Murray combination is a good one. The plus nine during the regular season, plus nine during the series, it changed how they played. There was a feeling watching game four that Denver had gotten static and they were just doing the same thing almost every time down. And by the time you've seen it for the 300th time, yeah. the, the Jazz got used to it. The Denver played a completely different offensive game and I and I know that the Jazz torched them. I, I didn't mind what Mike Malone did defensively in game four either. I mean, again, you're trying to pick your poison there. I mean, there's not a lot of great options. So in, in my opinion, that one works the best. Utah's going to score. Can you put enough pressure on them to keep scoring? And Denver did. I mean, that was a high-scoring game. But you mentioned the two playing together. If you go back, I believe the season before, those two played a lot of minutes together, over, over 650 minutes, and they had a really great net rating. Offensively, they really clicked. I think Jamal Murray is best when somebody else gets to bring the ball up, and he's more the primary pick-and-roll player. They didn't go to it this year, and they're going it to, to it in the playoffs now sort of out of necessity, and I'm not surprised that Jamal Murray had 50, although 50 he was on fire, but I'm not surprised he looked differently than he did in previous games when sort of that the rest of the point-guarding duties were taken off his plate. So that's something I think Denver has found that – I think will continue to work in game five. Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell. Did either of us realize our guys could do this? Wow. Um, you know, it's funny. No, you know, with Donovan Mitchell, I mean, he's been just so impressive. Denver really struggles with specifically this, this exact combo that, again, I didn't realize Utah was going to rely on so heavily. A speedy point guard and an above-the-rim lob threat. I mean, that's just death for Denver. Um Rashawn Holmes had this 30 point game or something against Denver one time trying to guard the Fox Holmes pick and roll. And you think, okay, are these guys great? No, but they're, that's exactly athletic rolling, big, super speedy point guard. Denver just has struggled with that. But the thing with about Donovan Mitchell, that's impressed me so much. In addition to those pull up three pointer numbers, which I, I mean, I want to ask you if it's sustainable. I can ask you after this, but the thing is his ability to read the court and some of the passes he's making to me, that's the part about him that I didn't expect. Um, He's, you know, these guys are just getting better, right? Like, I mean, that's, yeah. I talked to Kevin Pelton the other day. He was like, you know, we all just put these arbitrary dates on the beginning of the year as a time when players get better or the beginning. Right. Of, yeah. He's like, hey, we're just five months down the road. They're better than they were five months ago. Like, that's what's going on here with a lot of these players. Um, and it's an understandable, like, I've always loved Jamal Murray. So it makes, you know, it makes sense to me that he's getting better. We've always thought he was going to be just a terrific scorer. I like and I frankly like him playing with another ball handler. I think it does a lot for yeah. him. 
Uh, I think that I, this is my theory on guards specifically, maybe even ball handling guards, point guards, is they are, get more improvement from the start of the year to the end of the year than they get in an off season. I think oftentimes that's probably true because it's more real life reps that they're getting, not you know individual skill set work. So in regards to the off the bounce shooting, you mean the fact that Donovan's shooting fifty five percent from three, Clarkson <laughs> shooting fifty seven percent, and Mike Conley shooting fifty five percent from three? Like is is, is that good? Is <laughs> Those that numbers are good, right? That is not sustainable. Um, actually, though, interestingly, by the way, it's not sustainable. The same way that Jordan Clarkson's like two for twenty on catch and shoots is not sustainable. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I, like, there is a little bit of. Uh, I think that's what Jordan Clarkson is. Last time I checked, I'll have to. I'll have to check and make sure he was. He was incredible in that last game. He, not just oh the shot gosh. making, but even just he doesn't feel like he's ever pressing, which is the number one trait of of Jordan Clarkson. And that game last night, I just didn't ever felt like he was out of control. And he's, I always think he's out of control. He's three of 17 on catch and shoot threes. So he'll get wow. some of those. Um, mm. the other, no, those, those numbers. I mean, the jazz better defend at some point in the series or we're going to, we're going to have a few more games. I mean, Utah's not really <laughs> stopped Denver in this. I, I guess they stopped them in, they broke them in game three, whether that's stopping them. I would say they broke them. Yeah, I'd say um, they broke them. And they defended for about five minutes in the third quarter of game four. And that turned out to be enough, but no, the jazz cannot stay in relying on this level of shooting to win this like I, this i mean they're they've got I a nice edge, you know, but. what is up, what is up with the shooting from the jazz because part of me thinks like okay if they're they're hot they're going to regress but part of me also thinks denver is not good defensively utah is really confident especially donovan mitchell he's just so confident there's they're in the bubble there's no crowd there's all these different things Part of me wonders if maybe that's not true. If you don't have a tough team and you have an empty gym, guys are just going to shoot like it's practice. So I think the thing that was maybe underestimated, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an answer to that. Actually, I'll give you an answer to that uh, as, as we continue. Today's show brought to you in part by rockauto.com. There's no need to go to the brick and mortar store. There's no need to go in and have some guy sitting behind a computer tapping things in and your selection suddenly being what they have available at the price they want. Instead, rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. And they do it with the same price for do-it-yourselfers as they do for professionals. And they do it with amazing selection. Unique and remarkably easy to navigate websites, kind of old school. Quickly setting the parts available for you for your vehicle choose the brand specifications prices you prefer don't worry it's their the selections mammoth the prices are always reliably low it's all the parts your car will ever need it's rockauto.com so go to rockauto.com right now see the parts that are available for your car truck and be amazed that all the prices are reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers when you're checking out please make sure you write on locked on in their how did you hear about us section that's locked on the how did you hear about us section box so they know who sent you, and that's us. Locked on Jazz and Locked on Nuggets doing it together. See, we're like mass selection, and we're reliably low price every time. It's rockauto.com. I think the one area where the Jazz, two things about the Jazz have been underestimated here or, or not talked about enough. One is since December 24th, they're the best offense in the NBA. Wow. So since they added, got rid of Jeff Green, Dante Exum, and added Jordan Clarkson, they were the number one offense in the NBA. They might yeah. be, they might be really great offensively. They, they, they generally, you know, they weren't. The bubble numbers dropped them a little bit because they played Mioni and Jarrell Brantley a lot. Yeah. But they were yeah, the number yeah. one catch and shoot team. They were the number one open three point shooting team. They were the number one offensive team with an offensive rating of one seventeen. They had the fifth best differential. They had the number one effective field goal percentage. Now. 
right before the stoppage, they were about to go on this run of about six, seven, eight really good teams, and you were going to find out who they were. So yeah. that's one, and they're playing, a, you know, when they play a not very good defensive team, they usually roast them. The second one is the, and you're going to laugh because you knew I was going to go here, is the offensive impact Rudy Gobert has on games. If you look at Rudy Gobert and with a non Without Derek Favors, frankly. I could be polite. It's not. It's with a non-big next to him, right? The Jazz offense has always been better than the 75th percentile, according to Cleaning hmm. the Glass. Usually the 80th percentile. Yeah. And you know who those fours have been? Jay Crowder. Tabo, who's the worst catch-and-shoot player in the league. Yeah, these are like bad stretch fours. Tabo Cephalosha. Jonas yeah. Jerebko. A very old Boris Diaw, right? Like, the fact that they lost Boyan Bogdanovich hurts them. But that Royce O'Neal's playing, like, it doesn't matter. Rudy's role to the rim. I wonder if it actually helps them in a way. I mean, their offense can't get better. Well, right. It can't. But Rudy's role screening and rolling to the rim taxes a defense so significantly if there's four shooters on the floor that the Jazz offense, no matter who those shooters have been, have always been really, really good if Rudy's on the floor. Which is why I think it's going to be interesting just seeing what the direction the league goes because I'm you, you're watching teams like Boston go at Joel Embiid, a good defender, and although you know, albeit you know, didn't have a ton of help, but he's also just a turnstile right now defensively when you can spread out the court. Um, you look around the teams that are having success, your Houston's, even now your Oklahoma City going small, just so many teams are just switching and saying, forget it, forget bigs, forget any of this impact, and I'm really just kind of watching the series and going, okay, there's things Denver can do. I know that Jokic isn't a rim protector, this and that, but I watch how much they can, Utah can spread you out, how dynamic Conley is in the pick and roll, how fast and dynamic uh, Donovan Mitchell is, how much Joe Ingles can be the third option there. And I just go, man, how many teams can guard this without switching? I'm just not sure that you can anymore. And me as, as a Denver fan, as somebody that enjoys watching Jokic and him having an impact, I watch it and go, I just don't know if you can guard this traditionally anymore. I talked to an executive in the league today who said, I don't think you can drop the big anymore. I don't think yeah, you can drop the big yep. in the playoffs. And I countered with, you can drop the big if they deny the rim. But if you're dropping Even the big then. and they don't deny the rim, then you're really in trouble. Even then, it's, I, I mean, I don't know that we're going to see it because who's left? You know, you look at maybe like a Lakers team, but I, there's just not a lot of teams left that have that guy. Dallas isn't going to necessarily have it. Houston doesn't have it. So I don't, I don't know that we're going to get to prove this right or wrong. What I think with Denver, you know, they've been able to score in the, the two games they've been competitive in this one is they've been able to kind of keep pace. And I think when you watched them in that second and that third game, a lot of it was their offensive identity. I mean, 14 points in the first quarter, um, you know, just just kind of falling off there. And that's the one thing I want to see is can you make Utah work on the other end in a way that's maybe meaningful and just on the margins? Again, you're not going to stop them. You saw the Clippers the other day or, or Dallas the other day wins. They had a 123 defensive rating or something like that. They weren't stopping anybody either. I wonder if you can just sort of outscore teams, wear them down. And then when it gets to the fourth quarter, maybe then you have an edge. Maybe you're drawing fouls throughout the game and, and tilting the game that way. Denver really hasn't been able to do that so far in this series, um, at least not consistently. But that I, I just I, this is an offensive league right now. Yeah, and we have got two great offensive teams playing each other. I mean, I think I, I texted you. I think that was the greatest offensive rated game ever in the history of the playoffs. 
It was really fun. I mean, for Denver, you know, obviously falling down three one is gonna it was the storyline. But as I went back and watched it, and you just you just see the the incredible guard play. You know, you you saw so many tough shots made on both ends of the court, and you just think, man, this league is so crazy right now with how many guys can make plays, and not just plays, but dynamic plays. You know, things that require all all skill sets. You have so many at any given moment. You have six, seven players who can dribble, shoot, pass, make high-level reads, and you just go, wow, this this league is really, really talented right now. Denver wins this series, winning three in a row. How? Well, they got to get they got to get uh, their offense flowing a lot more than they have they got to hope for a little bit of a regression from utah and i think that they're gonna need a Jokic game from behind the three-point line i I was encouraged that Jokic took 10 three-pointers yesterday including right off the bat i mean i think he started oh of four denver's up three points at the end of the first quarter if and, and and rudy gobert by the way completely allowing that shot to happen if Jokic starts a game two for two three for three in addition to maybe pushing the score up a little bit and pushing the envelope I do wonder if it forces Gobert out. Now, having a two-game lead, I'm guessing that Gobert's going to just sit in the paint and live there for a while anyway for an entire game. But I do wonder if Jokic can start to knock down some of those open shots they're giving him if it breaks Utah's defense a little bit and forces Rudy Gobert to move side to side because that's when he's going to pick up fouls. Sitting in the paint and just deterring anybody from going near the basket, I don't think he's going to get in foul trouble that way. You got to make him move around the court, and Denver hasn't been able to do that yet. Interesting move by Quinn Snyder late in that game. He tried a possession earlier, and and Jokic drew a foul, and he went back to it where he had Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles guarding, and so then he could just switch that to get out to Jokic's three-point shooter, and then Rudy sits basically in a one-man zone at the rim. I wonder whether Quinn's willing to roll that out earlier in the game than the final possession or two. Denver has been good at exploiting that. I mean, Jokic is very, very good against undersized players, um, you know, forcing the double team, getting down on the block. So if they do try that, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if Denver's prepared for it. But my hunch is, especially early in this game, they're going to have Gobert on him and they're going to give him some wide open looks. And Denver's at a moment now where they, you know, they have nothing to hold back. You got to let it fly and you got to hope that that Jokic connects on it. He's really not a great three-point shooter, 33, 34%, something like that career. But if he can have one of those nights where he just starts, you know, five for seven, something like that, maybe it changes the complexion of the game. The feeling after game four, listening to you, was if they lose this series, it's a catastrophic moment for Denver where they have to recalibrate. Do you think it's actually that big a deal now that things have calmed down a little bit if they, in fact, lose the series? It's a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I think what you look at as you go, can a Jokic, uh, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray trio, can you build around that in a way that's going to stop anybody? And if not, does it matter? And I think both of those questions are kind of curious. Did Utah, I think some of this depends on if Utah does advance, what do they look like against other teams? Are they doing the same thing or do they suddenly look pedestrian in the playoffs? Um, You know, so I think there's a lot of things at play here, but I do think you look at that and you go, okay, I think you had this idea that Denver was keeping the group together. They've loved this continuity. They want to do, and now you look at it, you go, okay, is Torrey Craig a player that you can count on in a playoff series? I think he has 20 points and he's played, you know, starters minutes for four games. Um, You know, what what kind of other players off of the bench? Or they have a lot of one-way players, defense guys or offense guys. And I think you look at that and say, um, you, you know, you question it. And then the last thing, and this is why another reason I think Utah's making shots, Donovan Mitchell is not afraid at all of the Denver Nuggets, and his confidence is so high. I thought it was so weird when Paul Millsap stared him down at the end of the game yesterday, right before Donovan Mitchell hit what basically was the clincher, because 
it was so clear Donovan Mitchell wasn't afraid. You don't stare down a guy that has scored on you at will for four games, and then you stare him down because you got one stop that wasn't even a stop. You, you Utah got the ball back. I was just thinking, nobody is afraid of Denver. They don't have any toughness. They don't have any of those tough guys. And Jokic isn't that guy. Michael Porter's not that guy. You might have to build your the, the fill in the gaps with tough guys, guys that put pressure on the other team and maybe just get their emotional heart rate going. Uh, any questions you have for me? I have one last one for you. Is Quinn Snyder better than you thought? No, because I, I had just an enormous amount of respect for him, especially in these types of moments. So I, I he's exactly what I thought. Um, you know, I it, it's he's smarter than me because I didn't see exactly how they were going to adjust to this. And, and so it caught me a little bit off guard. But I knew he was a great coach and I saw it um, for just what I said about Denver, though. My one question for you is just that. I mean, you have a team of young players. They're kind of growing into roles, but they don't really have any tough guys that you look at and you go, oh, man, that's a guy that's going to put a team on their heels. Do you feel that same way when you watch them? They're talented, they're skilled, but do they have anybody that makes you, you know, emotionally un unstable? I don't know how many of those guys are there, right? Like a Marcus Smart type, you know, maybe yeah. a Patrick Beverly, just somebody maybe that's going to like. Maybe PJ Tucker in Houston has a little bit of that. Um, yeah. Do the, do the Lakers have anyone that makes it? Or is it just LeBron by himself just because he's such a force? Yeah, um, he's a little different. Yeah, he's a little different. I, I don't know. I can't. I think that's a. I don't know. It's interesting. I listened to your podcast about, you know, you have either offensive or defensive players. We felt that way about ourselves a lot. I, I think what we have is, you know, two really, really good basketball teams, neither of which is probably championship caliber. And so it gets into matchups a little bit, right? Last year, you got the good yeah. matchups in the playoffs and we got yeah. the bad one. And maybe, maybe it's going to turn out. We'll see that you got the bad one this time with three pick and roll ball handlers. And, you know, it would have been better to play somebody else. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. but I, 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 you know, I think they've got, we got young players that are remarkable. Um, I'll be honest. One of the reasons I wanted to play Denver is they didn't have the experience, right? If you're playing up against Harden, he's got a, yeah. 12 years and Westbrook's got 10, Anthony Davis, as much as he's kind of an anomaly, he's got, but you got LeBron and you got Harden. It, like, it's just like Chris Paul. Like, I don't want to play Chris Paul in the playoffs. Like he's yeah, done this yeah. a million times. Like neither of these two rosters have guys that have done it a million times. That's why I thought it was such an interesting matchup. Um, yeah. to start. So I think that there's just a gro it's this, I mean, this league's a bitch. Like, sorry to use it's the so word. Like, that it's so hard. It's so yeah. hard. Right. And like Michael Porter jr. Is having the worst week of his life and the kid's going to average 25 points a game in this league at some point, but he's going to have to yeah. figure out how to move and play defense. Cause if not in the playoffs, this is going to happen to him every year. Yeah. This is a real baptism for him. <laughs> he's really uh, baptism by fire. He's really learning I mean, he's so talented. He's so skilled. And you go in that seating round and he just looks like an all-star. And then you get him here and it's like, oh, that's right. You have a weakness and they're going to go at it every time. But I mean, the Jazz better defend. Like the Jazz have not defended in this series yet. So like, I mean, yeah. again, I, th I think they, 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 they got Denver in game four and the defensive rating was fine. Um, and, or in game three and then in game four, they defended for about six minutes, but the, they're going to have to defend a lot more if they're going to win, if they're going to close out Denver in this series. I'm curious to see how Denver responds tomorrow. I mean, they have such a long shot. And as you mentioned, that bubble, every single player has compared it to prison. And I, I that that tug of, hey, we can be out of here tonight is is got to be really strong. And I'm really curious to see if they put up a fight, especially given that, in my opinion, in game three, they kind of laid down in that one. So I'm curious to see what we get from them. We have not seen a team down 3-0 win a game. Not a surprise. This will be the first time we have what happens at 3-1. Um, 
You know, my theory on this when we came into this was that it would be the greatest basketball we've ever seen and the worst series we've ever seen. Mm. That, yeah, well, so far that's tracking. I right. hope it doesn't so track we'll, tomorrow. So we'll see. Like, I can't blame, though. I, I Like, if the Jazz go up six at some point, and I just can't I, – I can't blame a guy if he blinks. Like, I just – in this setting – when because if we're playing at regular – Denver's thinking right now, all right, we got this one at home. We're going to win it. We just got to go down to Utah and steal a game. We've won there twice. We've won there recently. We'll do it. And then we got them back home for game seven. But there's none of that in this series that right. makes you feel as though you have that that chance the same way if you have home court advantage. I just keep thinking Denver, I think, finally made some adjustments and has some new data points. Let's see what they do in game five. The further this goes – you know, Utah has been so comfortable and shot the ball so well. I think at some point, if you drop two games in a row when you could have closed out, I do think that those shots get a little bit more pressure filled on Utah's end than Denver's end. But you know what? I, I mean, who knows? We'll, we'll, there's a long way before that. I just want to see how they bounce back in game five. All right. I got to give you a little crap here. Oh, no. Not a lot. Denver's shooting 43% from three, too. You're going to miss also, you know. Man, are they really? Yes. Who's I wonder, well, Jamal, actually, you know what it is? is Jamal Murray. I mean, 9 of 15 yesterday. He had that first game where he was so he was so on fire. Um, Torrey Craig hit a bunch in that first game. So, yeah. There's the a real game. chance that game five is actually – here's what's really bizarre about this. In the regular season, if you go look at these two teams played, the offensive ratings weren't good. Like, these teams actually defended <laughs> each other in the regular season. Yeah. There hasn't been a defensive game here yet. I'm really curious. I will say this about this, what, uh, what Mike Malone does, because I think Mike Malone's approach in game four, which I, I feel like he's getting blasted for, by letting never changing his pick and roll coverage and not and, and Donovan dropping fifty one, the Jazz threw seventy fewer passes than they usually yeah. throw. They hit four corner threes instead of fourteen. They took yep. far fewer threes than they've been getting. They didn't get the catch and shoot threes. If I'm Mike Malone, I'm coming back with the exact same thing. The only same. The only problem with that is convincing your players. By the way, I'm letting you get humiliated again by this uh, guy because it there's worked, a and I think that's chance hard. that Donovan goes for another 50-point game tomorrow. Because I'm with you, I would much rather that happen. The, his two 50-point games in the series were the two Denver was in and late in the game. I would much rather that happen, and Utah only gets off 24 threes again um, than what happened in games two and three. So I, I kind of think it'll happen as well. All right, that sets you up for where we sit. Crossover edition. David Locke of Locked On Jazz. Adam is Locked On Nuggets. Make sure you subscribe and follow both of our shows and the Locked On NBA. Wes Goldberg and David Ramil give you the latest of what happened on the NBA today. Every day, Locked On NBA is your short 30-minute bite-sized podcast to get you the latest of what happened each day on the NBA. So make sure you grab that. And then tomorrow, I'll be with Ben Golliver, who's live in the bubble for the Thursday edition. And Adam and Anthony will be back with you on the Friday edition of Locked On NBA. So right now, tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of podcast, Locked On NBA.